Welcome to WWJT. What would Jesus Tech? I've realized that I say WWJT. It's actually faster, less syllables for me to say what would Jesus Tech. But I don't know. I like WWJT as well because it's a shout out to the 90s movement of the What Would Jesus Do bracelets um, that we talked about with Jess Jelstra, and that was awesome. Um, but today we're going to talk, me and Joel, we're going to get into it. We're going to bring up some of our disagreements. Um, a couple years ago, or I guess a year and a half ago now, Joel said to me, like, let's start a podcast. Like, let's do this. And I was like, oh, it's kind of iffy on it. But there's there's some reasons for it. One of the things that you were excited about, Joel, was helping the church see tech. Um, and even when you were interviewed by the Gospel Coalition, I saw the bio that you wrote for them. And you you said, you know, or however you phrased it. Prior to that, yeah, 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 you're you're a big deal at Splunk and big data and <laughs> mechatronics engineering. But then, after several years in the industry, you started what would Jesus Tech, the the podcast to reach technologists building the tech tools of the future. Like you want to encourage, you want to promote technology. You have a positive disposition towards technology. Is this true? Yeah, I think I could, I would be flat face lying if I said I wasn't. I had a tempered approach. I'm definitely full-on positive. Yeah, you're a tech futurist. You have no qualms with even referring to yourself in that light, despite there being like, wait, transhumanism? Wait, what does it mean to be human? You're like, no, no, like we should prepare for the future as Christians. Um, and, And meanwhile, myself, you know, I'm reading a book, I'm reading different things, and I'm like reading about the history of Luddites. You know, and and everyone says, I like technology, you know, I'm not trying to be a Luddite. And then they list off their concerns. Well, I actually want to be a Luddite because the real history of Luddites is that they were trying to protect their livelihoods, their jobs, their their way of life. And so what if they didn't want to work in a factory away from their family? Like they can still, they could have still done some good. And and you can read, there's two books that talk about it. John Dyer's book talks about the good of Luddites and also Jake Meter's book, um, In Search of the Common Good, or maybe it was his more recent one, What Are Christians For? But Either way, just Google search Luddites, learn the history. There's actually some good to Luddites. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a tech skeptic. But I worked in tech too. I saw the values of tech. And I, when I worked in tech companies, I just bought into our tech company. I was selling it literally. And I I had a positive disposition towards our technology. Um, even though you could say it dehumanized the hiring process by using data instead of interviews. That was one of the things that our product was pushing when I worked there. So I'm I'm trying to be nuanced, but I find myself figuring this out. And so when it comes to chat GPT, when it comes to tech with your kids, when it comes to using Facebook features as a church to help promote your church events to the outside world, um, there's a lot of different technology and and the pace of it is new all the time. So what is our default position towards technology? Um, One of the things that I've learned from you is that technologists, they feel left out by the Christians talking about technology often because we're so negative. Is that how, how have you like unpack that for me? Because you've felt that you go to an event and it's just negative, get off social media. Yeah, I think, well, I guess there's a couple things. One, the discourse on technology is limited to more surface level technology, right? It's more like what is technology that affects everyone, not necessarily what is, you know, technology around nuclear fission, right? Like that's, I've never heard 
Uh, except maybe for, you know, the doomsday clock period in time where everyone was talking about the end of the world. Um, usually technology isn't coming back to the pulpit. Maybe with AI, it'll make a return, you know, everyone getting ready for the end of the world. But I think oftentimes, and even in that phrasing end of the world, it's like, okay, that's when we talk about technology. It's when it's crossed a line. It's when it's gone too far. It's like, okay, now we're going to bring it up. Not when, or often not when, at least I felt when it's doing, you know, good in the world. Um, And, you know, obviously God is the one who's doing the good. um, And these are just like tools, just like us, we're vessels that he is using to glorify himself. Right. Um, And I think that's, yeah, like you mentioned, that's the reason why I said, Andrew, I feel like there's a gap. I feel like there's, there's two gaps, one for technologists like me who are working in this space, we don't feel like the church is excited or supportive necessarily about what we're doing. And then even in the church, I think that's reflected by how much church adopts technology. Often we are, you know, to use a phrase behind the curve where we adopt even like we only adopted like video um, streaming because we were forced to during the pandemic, not because hey, this might be a tool to um, reach more people. So I think, yeah, I think I, I want to at least open up the discussion for that narrative. And I think that does push me into the positive bias. I think in general, yeah, like we've had a lot of episodes so far over the past year and a half where the conclusion often is like it's a nuanced discussion. There are a lot of technologies, like even for me, there are moments where I'm like, I wish it was like the 1960s and I didn't have a personal phone and I can go out into the forest yeah. and not be distracted or disturbed and I could just have my own peace. So there are moments in time where I would want to be a Luddite um, because of the distractions of technology and of the world that we're into. You know, it'd be nice to have the ability that no one could call me. They would have to like write me in letter and I would get that in a few weeks and then I would have that that space and time so you know I have that feeling sometimes too but I think in general you know when you talk about things like transhumanism or we probably will talk about AI I think a lot of these things are inevitable in a sense and Mm -hmm. what we end up doing by saying oh like that's bad that's bad that's bad is it finally hits us and then we're kind of just a victim to it rather than, okay, let's steer the ethical and moral discussion. Let's guide it into a way where we're not kind of a casualty of the technology, but we're right. you know, steering where it goes. And I wasn't expecting us to talk about the Luddites this much, but they, they were kind of doing that. They were, they were challenged with the possibility of factories changing jobs and so they were speaking out against it in favor of their current contemporary way of life like they were actually living in the moment and trying to challenge the ethical um suggestions that an industrial world would implement like the 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 taking away of the the household unit where you work together um but yeah but like this is the core question that we keep coming back to and it's and it's why a friend of mine who he and I talk theology he's like well obviously you would do a podcast on technology because you love talking about Christ and culture issues uh, that's kind mm-hmm. of like my sweet spot is thinking about this question 
How should we, as Christians of an old Orthodox faith, live in a modern world? And what you said, that that poll of, let's just go back to the 1960s, I do not believe that's a Christian approach to say, retreat or go back to the past. I don't think that's what God wants us to do, to simply go backwards or, you know, there's things we should conserve, yes, from the past. But what we need to do is, is hold to the faith and hold to the practices of the faith, and yet at the same time, be totally in the world. In the world, not of the world, Jesus said, right? And so I see it fundamentally from a technology point of view as these two things. Are we fully embracing the goodness of technology according to Genesis 1 and 2? And are we also fully recognizing the curse of technology according to Genesis 3? And I see Christians either doing one or the other. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, no, so I completely I completely agree. I feel I think a lot of that inspiration for me as a technologist is that we're made in the image of God and God is a creator, right? And for us to create is reflecting that part of character. So definitely is based on that early, you know, Genesis reading around technology. Um and there is there are trade-offs to be concerned about and technology can be used and has been used to you know kill and hurt um so it's not to say that technology is in itself good and i think if you're if you're listening to this podcast you know that we're not saying it's one or the either we're saying there's a nuanced approach but i think the the debate here is really what should our default bias be? Should we come into it expecting it to be good or should we come into it expecting it to be bad? And probably AI is, you know, one example that just keeps accelerating, you know, recently that maybe it's a it's a good example to talk through. I mean, have you seen the the letter saying that we should stop yep. advances in AI and we that's coming stop from it this. because, but the, like the letter was so c- catastrophic about what the future could be with AI. Like even the letter itself, even though it was saying to slow it down, it was pushing a certain perspective about how powerful it's going to be, which might be true. It might be powerful, but I heard criticism of the letter itself and that's why another letter was written. So yeah, there is some good debate. In recent days, I've been doing more research on even generative AI, how it differs from analytical AI. And it even scares me to an extent. Um, it scares me because of how close it is to replicating or reflecting how we were created, which is, is you know, it's, it's beautiful in a sense, right? We are creating in the, with the intent to mimic what God has created in our minds. But it's also kind of crazy to think that it could be coming true. So one, I'll I'll give you like one analogy. So generative AI, there's this thing called generative adversarial networks. And basically it's actually, there's two AIs inside the surface AI. One AI is creating and one AI is um, being analytical. It's being discerning, right? To use a Christian word. 
So we'll say, hey, draw a car and it'll draw a car. And then the analytical discerning one will say, that's not a car. It doesn't match what I have. Try again. And it gives it that response. And then it tries again and it keeps improving. And then finally, it creates a card that is actually so realistic that the discerning AI says, yep, that is a car. It matches my data set. It's not just what I understand is a car. And the generative one says, well, actually, that's a fake car. It's not real. You need to get better at discerning. And now the discerning AI has to try again at like, okay, how do I get better at figuring out if this is real or not? And it's a continual arms race. And there's this tension. And when you actually think about what we do when we draw, let's say you took a pencil and you're drawing a car and you're coming across a point and you said, hey, you know what? That doesn't actually look right. I'm going to erase this section and redraw it. In your brain, you have this creative and analytical side, um, you know, working in that tension to, to create something that's real. So it's very much inspired by how we think and as we continue to accelerate, like this is only going to accelerate. People are getting more excited about how transformational this is, which also increases the timeline to the singularity, right? We said, okay, maybe 2032 would be the singularity. And I was like, okay, good. it could be in five years. And that's, that's pretty intense where you create this AI, which has these competing and conflicting emotions, just like humans do. And we actually don't know what decisions it'll make. And that's kind of the whole nervousness is like, is it possible that it could make a decision that isn't aligned with human interests, right? Um, that it views us as the evil, which we are, and that it figures out a way to, you know, eradicate us. That's like the apocalyptic end of days view. Yeah, there's different ways we could go with this conversation. One is just to note that like already we've introduced cars into society and the destruction that cars have created that we're just okay with is very interesting, right? That yeah. we said, okay, these metal boxes on wheels can kill people all the time, right? <laughs> like we're just okay with this technology being used for the sake of efficiency. And that's why a lot of uh, Christian thinkers are pushing Jacques Lul because he talks about efficiency as like the core reason for our age, or, or it's not the core reason for our age, I should rephrase. It's like the core underlying value of, of our technocratic technological society, that it's all about efficiency and, and, and being okay with the cost of killing children on their way to school with these metal boxes on wheels, maybe we shouldn't build the metal boxes on wheels. There's trade-offs, you know, and and I'm not saying we need to get rid of cars all the way, but it's a very similar conversation to AI where you, where you permit a technology for the sake of some underlying values. And what are those underlying values? And so this is where we need to figure out what those underlying values are and how to influence AI towards these values. And so I think that's what open AI is trying to do. It's funny, like when you introduced me to the concept when we were talking before about like, they used to be about open AI, a public company almost about open source. And now they've gone private and they're just raking in money. And it's, you know, it's just a very peculiar, um, you know, by a person who said Sam Altman, like his core thing that he's once said on like, cause he's always been training others on how to start startups. He's like, doing a startup, starting a company, building a company is kind of like building a religion. 
And he's mm-hmm. the guy building AI, right? So yeah, like it's in the image of man. It's an idol. It's totally something that people are going to worship. There's already reports of this, that we need to worship this new AI because it's smarter than us. But I don't, I want to push back on your optimism about the use of the technology. And let me play a clip and see what you think. Because this is Gary Marcus, and he's an AI expert, and he said that AI is hitting a wall. So let me let me play this. Okay. Yeah. This is actually a reference to a paper I wrote called Deep Learning is Hitting a Wall. And what I said in that paper was that deep learning was making progress in some ways, but that it was having trouble with truth and reliability. And the field went nuts and got really mad at me. And there was a whole set of memes. But then when Microsoft rolled out Bing and Google rolled out Bard, we saw that those things actually have huge problems with reliability and have huge problems with truthfulness. It's true. Every day, deep learning looks better at being more and more like a plausible human. But these problems of truthfulness and reliability are not going away. And that is the wall. And I stand by it. At NFT dude for life. <laughs> sorry just nft dude for life i was just thrown off by that yeah well uh that's the next question that he's asking it's a youtube video where he answers of a whole yeah, bunch yeah, of questions yeah, yeah but yeah so he he seems to think and because this is the approach of large language models is it's trying to which is very interesting that the core of this AI tool is basically language underpinning it. And that fundamentally the way to make the most powerful computer is to get that computer to learn and generate language because language is the core of all sorts of other aspects of human creativity. And so- Tower Babel, you know, harkens. Exactly, like it's wild, this stuff. But if it's not accurate, you know, Pilate's question that he asked of Jesus is our pressing question of today. What is truth? You know, and out of all the things that different people said to Jesus before he was crucified, for that question to be in scripture, I think it's supposed to be a question that we still ask today. What is truth? And if AI can't answer it, and that's the wall that it's hitting now, but but you were you were bringing up that like we'll just have multiple AIs working mm-hmm. together. Is that is that how you would respond? Yeah, yeah. I think like when you really peel back the layer of like you know, GPT is generative predictive transformer. So transformer is another type of model where it actually like, when you're talking about these large language models, the easy way is to say like, okay, it's just looking at the next likely word, but actually it's like, okay, in this pair of two words, what's the next likely thing? And this like paragraph, and each of those are like inputs into a transformer chain. There's an input chain and output chain. So it's actually But this is based around, just to clarify, what's the most likely next word that's based around all human data, that mm-hmm. it's using human data in order to predict what's the most likely word, most likely for what humans. So it's truly copying other humans at this point. Anyways, continue. Yeah, yeah. And and the reality is there is factual wrong, Im- or like there is wrong information out there. Incorrect, incorrect information yeah. on the internet. So, you know, like data in is bad, data out is going to be bad. But the thing is, when you come back to this concept of like, okay, we're thinking of how to create a mind, we have the same problem with people. There are people who look at fake news and then they propagate fake news. You know, they're like, ah, oh, I saw this thing on WhatsApp. It's crazy, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's not real. So if you created another AI that was, you know, looking to 
digest the generated suggestion and say, how am I going to score this on a truthfulness scale? What inputs am I going to use for truth? You know, obviously, if Christians were at the forefront of this, we could say, hey, we're going to make an AI that has a Christian foundational underpinning that uses that as a core Hmm. set of truth. So now anything that's generated is put through that lens. And, you know, it's the same way we work, right? If someone comes to us and tells us this new foreign idea, we say, well, how does this fit into the biblical worldview? How does this fit into the Bible? What would the Bible say about this, right? And that is how we can discern what's true and what's false and, you know, where to engage. So if we, it's it's really like building a human, right? If we said, how would we train a child in the way it should grow? That is the foundation that we would put to it. And if we do encourage technologists to lead AI, you could get a series of AI where it has Christianity as its foundation, right? And that would be a, a reflection of us that we would appreciate, right? The problem though, and I know as positive as I am, the, the challenge is because it's so easy for someone to copy and just twist, it's harder to regulate. So even that letter, it's like, hey, we should pause it. There's no way that we can pause development. You know, with developing nuclear warheads, the UN could have put sanctions. Everyone could be like, hey, we can see that you're actually like not obeying. You're like moving this material around. But for AI, it's like, yeah, someone's in their basement copying and pasting this code and like making a tweak to say like, hey, I know this is an ethical line, but I want to get an edge in the marketplace. So I'm going to cross something that maybe I shouldn't do, but it's going to make my AI better. Um, And yeah, I think we, again, rather than waiting for that to happen, we need to think about, okay, well, how, how do we prepare a world where that couldn't happen? How could we create other AIs that could manage a rogue AI, right? If you're, we're going way into the future here, but I think those are things we need to be thinking about and leaning into rather than leaning away from. Okay. So I kind of want to go more practical. So I've had conversations recently, one with someone at a church who preps the small group questions for their church. And so they're starting to use chat GPT to help them write discussion questions based around the pastor's sermon notes or they're they're starting to consider it at least, and they're exploring it, and we talked about it. Another person who works in social media, um, she posts not only for a social media company that's not Christian, but also posts for volunteers to post on social media for a Christian missions organization. And so she too is like, oh, it'd be great for me to like give me a tweet on Christian missionaries, like a general update. And then it comes out with a whole bunch of like, buzzwordy Christianese of, you know, fulfilling the great commission, spreading the gospel and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's fake. Like it's not a real tweet, but she can use that language and just change a couple things and change the names and it saves time. Right. And so I'm having conversations with these people being like, isn't this cool? Isn't this helpful tech? But then there's this question of, what is this doing to us? Is this a helpful thing? Because all technology has trade-offs. What are the trade-offs going to be? And you're like, but it's just inevitable that this is going to take over the future. And is it, it doesn't have to be inevitable. We can make decisions. Um, and, and that doesn't mean we all need to become Amish, but there are some principles. Like the same way that we were able to, as a society, push back against cigarettes, we could push back against social media and we could push back against AI. It's it's not inevitable. We pick and choose 
what things as a society we promote. And it's like, well, cigarettes, obviously they relieve stress. Like there's all these benefits, you know, like, but let's actually look at the benefits and look at the trade-offs and then make an evaluation and then push society in one way or the other. And I would rather us wait and do that well with AI and with other technologies, including all the new features that come out on your apps that we just say, update your app. And then all of a sudden there's a new video feature. Like people are using this short form video content and it's like cocaine. Like it's, it addicts. And it's like, so I think, okay. So I agree, right? Like, you know, cigarettes, for example, we were able to change that prevailing thought that like the benefits are worth the drawbacks, right? The problem with AI is that it's going to have a massive improvement to, you know, productivity across large volumes of, you know, jobs and people groups and everything. It's just like the the benefit is so huge, at least in the short term, before it gets into the risky territory. We're going to have so much more efficiency, as you mentioned, but also we're going to also have so much more good. There's a story about, I don't know if you saw this, there was a guy who went to a vet and said, hey, my dog is dying. And the veterinarian prescribed, so there's three things it could be. I'm going to prescribe you the first one. And the dog actually got worse. And the person said, okay, well, here's a blood test. I'm going to upload it to chat GBT. I'm going to ask it like, what else could it be? And I said, well, it could be this other thing. And he went to another vet to get that prescription and it actually ended up saving the dog, right? Hmm. So it's just like, it's not necessarily that it was more efficient in that equation or in that story. It's actually that it did help people you know, save a life, even if it's a dog's life. And that could be applied to humans and it could be applied to like all sorts of other areas that it's not just efficiency, but actual tangible benefits to our society. So I I think it's going to be very hard to say, hey, we shouldn't do this because in 10 years, something bad might happen. And we're going to slow down on the benefits of right now, right? It's like a, we struggle to do this as humans to be like, hey, I'm going to work out every day because it's going to help me live when I'm better and stronger when I'm 50. But we always take that short term, like, "Ah, I'm going to sit on the couch because I'm tired and I need to relax. Right. Or I'm going to eat this food because it tastes good. We, we, we have a, there's a psychological term for it that I can't remember, but it's like, we trade off the short term for the long term because we value it. We, we heavily skew to valuing that immediate rather than the future. Mm-hmm. And there's so many examples of this challenge. Like there is the live stream example that you said earlier that it's it's slow, but now most churches, almost all churches are doing live stream. And even Jay Kim, he authored two books, Analog Christian and Analog Church. So it's like, there's digital Christians and then there's analog. Like let's, like a, a word that you use to describe someone who's not going into the digital as much. And even he admitted that he pastors a church and he's like, we're doing live stream because it's the new front door to the church. People mm. often are watching the live stream for four or five weeks and then coming into the church saying, yeah, we've actually been watching for a few weeks now. Like interesting. now we're ready to connect. And so there is an admission that there is the benefit of the technology, even though he believes that it's not ideal. And he would prefer people obviously coming and gathering in person. It's just like a concession that you make 
for the sake of the good that it offers. And I can see a lot of that with AI of, okay, we're going to use it to help us write tweets as a concession for saving time for the sake of, like, we don't care that much about our Twitter presence anyways. So let's just, you know, like, let's be honest, most corporate social media accounts are incredibly boring. They're brutal, right? <laughs> so why not? Like, it almost feels already like they're done by AI. They're just incredibly <laughs> brutal. Other than Wendy's, I guess, that their tweets have gone viral. But I don't follow Wendy's on Twitter, no, like, right? So yeah, I, I can see it being used. I can definitely see it being used in med- medicine. And, and we should be using this and on the forefront of evaluating it, even using it, testing it out, and advising one another. Um, so... So yeah, I'm like with you and I definitely don't want technologists to lean back from working in tech because of negativity from the church. It's just that like, it is an idol. It is forming us um, and it has those negative impacts in the same way all idols do. There's a verse in Psalm 115, it's going through it the other day and it's talking about creating idols and it's like, it's funny because it talks about idols can't see, they can't, they're just made of human hands. So they don't have some of these things. And it's like, wait a second, but with AI, you make AI, <laughs> it actually can perceive, it can take in data. I think we anthropomorphize AI way too much. And we think of it as human when it's not, even though there's huge complexity differences, not to mention the spiritual. But anyways, back to Psalm 115, it talks about all these negative features of, of idols And it says that not only do people make them, but they start to become like the idol they make. They start to reinterpret who they are based around the idol that they work so closely to. And I worry about technologists working in tech, loving the tech they're working on so much. I was guilty of this to a degree at the tech company I was working on, that I started to interpret the world too much through the lens of the idol of my company. Um, and so, so it's, it's figuring out how to place it in this proper context of a created good, not the creator, uh, a good that has its trade-offs that is cursed. It has this spiritual element. Everything worships everything. Your computer worships. What is it worshiping? It has this spiritual element. Um, it might be demon possessed, even I, we can't go into this whole demonology and angelology right now, but it is interesting to think about it as a spiritual, physical thing. We divide the spiritual material too much because of secularization anyways. So like there, <laughs> there are tangent. these differences, there are these differences and there's these nuances and it's really tough. And I feel for technologists like you, you're implementing AI in your product right now, but that's good for the companies you're working for. But if you were doing that on a consumer good, maybe I'd push back on you more. Yeah, I think, yeah, it comes back to our default bias should be to lean in, I think. And I think not to say that it's good, but to say that we as Christians need to be part of the conversation Um, because the other, you know, tilt to lean out ends up, where all the inputs to creating the next technology is coming from, let's say, secular sources or people who aren't using the Bible as a foundation for truth. So I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, obviously there's too far into tech as worshiping as an idol and then too far out of tech. I think like those are pretty easy to identify. It's where you're kind of like slowly shifting into idolatry. And I think even for myself, I'll make the joke with my wife sometimes that like if I, 
you know, lost an arm in some accident, I would be actually quite excited to see if cybernetics or when cybernetics could be able to like connect into it and, and allow me to do something different. Or I would even dedicate the rest of my life's work for people who have lost limbs. Right. And I'd be like, and like, obviously there's a lot of good that can come from that by giving people um, access to lost limbs, but obviously what, what is a purpose? I think you, you want to ask, like, is a purpose to help people or is a purpose to glorify technology in itself? Right. And if you ask Mm -hmm. your heart, that question, you can see where you're getting too carried away um, for the created good rather than, you know, to magnify the creator. And I think that's just Mm -hmm. a continual thing we need to do. Um, Ongoing repentance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Which is basic, is like you kind of say, like, of course, this is what we do as Christians <laughs> is just an ongoing repentance. It's Martin Luther's first thesis that he stapled on the door to start the Reformation. Is that like the life of a Christian is daily repentance? Um, and so there's there's always that, not penance, re- repentance. Sorry, Catholics. Um the thing that I find most interesting right now in our moment is. Five years ago, the big things that we were talking about technology replacing were a lot of physical things. Like we were talking about Amazon drones replacing delivery drivers, um, that physical act of delivering you parcels, or automated driving was going to replace truck drivers. And what are we going to do about all of these uh, blue collar jobs that are getting replaced by technology? Whereas now it's the it's the and I don't like the blue collar white collar t- terms, but it's more of these these jobs of creating content, thinking, creativity that these large language models are seem to be doing a good job of replicating what a social media coordinator would do at a at a company. It's like ninety percent of their job seems to be eliminated, um, and certainly most people working in an office, at least ten percent of your job. There's one study that guessed that. Because of LLMs, it's going to take away, you know, or it's going to change at least, you know, 80% of employees working in this type of sector, at least 10% of their job is going to get impacted. And so it's changing this kind of thinking side of things rather than the physical side of things. And uh, that part of it and, and resolving that and how we respond to that is different than I think how a lot of Christians were thinking about the impacts of tech. So it's, it yeah. keeps us on our toes. Yeah. Like the... The, this, I don't know if scary is the right word. I hate to use scary, but the shocking part of this technology wave is that it's going to affect more knowledge workers and yeah. that that might actually come first. And I think, again, it's like a lot of the framing is like, okay, we'll lose jobs, but I think it'll be more that like, instead of one social manager per company, that might be an outsourced role where someone would have a social manager social management company and they get contracted to 10 different companies and they can work 10 times more efficiently because they're using AI to create the content and they're, you know, charging a 10th of what a dedicated person would. And now they're just Mm -hmm. serving 10 companies. Right. So I think overall productivity goes up in our economy. Um, And it's not like people are getting replaced. It's shifting. And we kind of have to be aware of what does that shift mean? And how do we make sure that as that shift happens, we also like retrain people. I think that's like a big thing that we fail at as a society, right? It's like, okay, how do people who are getting displaced by technology innovation going to still feel like they can work, right? 
and mm-hmm. then fall rather than them falling into this especially if their identity is their work fall into this despair there's again there's this artist who is like oh like mid journey has replaced my role i'm like getting yeah. automated out i think that got viral on twitter too and it's like his identity is in the art he creates you know and he's very depressed because of it rather than seeing it as like a tool to allow him to accomplish something more right like glorify god through what he creates and now with ai maybe he can like do more of that or like touch more people because we can create more games or like more art um and and there will always be demand for human creativity in the same way that we watch humans play chess is far more interesting than watching ai play chess right mm-hmm. like so there is i i well even there is a concern with the invention of the piano and the way that we could automate the way that it was played and play the sound of the best piano player ever it's like wait are we still going to want live music and we've resolved that we still want live music so there is a human element that we will always love differently than because of the intricacies and the beauty of human nature that yeah sure ai is going to replicate different things ai is going to give us things like that but ai the best thing that it can do is is copy humans not give birth to a real child in a womb and i know, I know there's all this technology that might even do that so like any example it's like well what about this what about this and and i kind of go back to the the four big movements of the christian worldview creation of the world, God put latent potentiality for all sorts of things to be created, including AI. He knew the silicon that he put in the earth's crust was going to be used for making AI. God's not surprised by it. And yet God is also not surprised by how negative things have been, the destruction of the world through technology and the atom bomb and all that. That's why I appreciate Tony Ranke in his book on technology he actually deals with that at detail rather than just skimming over it. Like let's really deal with how bad technology can be and how it can be used for evil and how God really did set up the world and was okay with that. He's sovereign over it all. But just like Noah's Ark, God can use technology as part of his redemptive purposes. Um, that God didn't have to just say to Noah, I'm going to save you and start over again. I'll do it. Snap my fingers. No, no, no. He's going to use technology, build an ark to go through a piece of wood, to go through the waters in order to just like Moses, just like, you know, like we're going to use the staff, we're going to use the ark, we're going to use the cross to bring about a new humanity. And that new humanity is done through redemption and that leads towards the new creation. And that's phase four. And that new creation will have technology in it. The ships of Tarshish will be there in it. And so that's that's kind of what I settle on as I settle on this. This I don't know what all's going on, but I know God does. And that's okay. what keeps me from being fearful. So let me ask you a question. What would Jesus stack? Would he lean into using technology or would he lean away from it? I think Jesus heavily prioritized individual people and saw his fundamentally fundamental ministry as serving people. And as a carpenter, as a technician of that technology, techne, the original Greek, yeah, he did use tech. Um, I even think about how innovative it was for him to go out on the water. I always come back to that, but it 
it's it still strikes me as an innovative way of using the tool of a boat in order to to speak to a broader audience. So I I think he would have been nuanced with it and he would have figured out how to do it well. And I don't know if we have, and I think we can't almost with yeah. our frail, frail minds that are not only sinful, but literally we were we were made by God with finitude, with uh like even before the fall, we were made to sleep, you know, like that's just a wild thing. Like we were, we were not made to accomplish everything. We were made to rest. We are made to take time to do things. God made us with certain things that are different than him. And I think as technology does things that are better than us, like, yeah, it can, you can move a mountain faster with technology than you can with um, just your hands. Um, You can saw a log that Jesus sawed maybe with a saw faster with technology. So yeah, Jesus did. Um, But there are some things that are essentially human and that we must always keep doing those. So I think Jesus still would have been born as an infant. And I think that's that, that tone is how I think Christians need to think about overcoming the world through weakness, through humility, through servanthood. And that is a total different orientation than let's just build a Christian AI that will be better than the other AI. It's like there's 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 this deep complexity to the Christian faith in that we're not we have a we have a unique relationship to power. We're willing to give it up for the sake of love. Um because love is more pure to the Christian heart, more pure to who Jesus is than power. And so AI is just a, a tool for power and that can be used for good. But yeah, I think there's a it's a it's a hard question, Joel. It's a hard yeah, question. Yeah, no, I think it's good. I think like you said, we're humans and we can try to replicate this model, but we're going to fail. And I think the the one takeaway I have is that we should we should try, right? Knowing that we're going to fail and we should try to think even more about, like you said, like, okay, well, there's a beauty in uh, laying things down and accomplishing things through like weakness to glorify the strength of Christ, right? And it's like, well, let's, yeah, let's keep having those conversations. Like, what does that look like in this next wave of technology? Is there something we could think about to make it different, to make people be like, wow, that's different and and come and, and awaken people's kind of like spiritual interest to connect with God, right? Mm. And like help pushing that along. So yeah, like, that's why we do this. I think, you know, we're reaching people, both technologists and in ministry to to lean in with their minds and hearts. Yeah. And so if you're here and you're listening to this, wherever you're at, think about if you're a technologist, you're working in tech, think about the pastor in your church or the youth leader in your church that you know, and you could talk to and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about what technology I'm building and bridge that gap a little bit more to help them understand the good of technology. And if you're a pastor or youth leader or wherever you're at in the ministry world or theological world, reach out to a technologist and say, hey, like, I want to learn more from you about what you're working on and what ethical things you're having to navigate and just do a better job of listening to one another. And I think that's what you and I are trying to do. And we've always done in our friendship is just a healthy curiosity for um, just what's going on in the world. I'm, you um, you fascinate me, Joel, with with your your insights. And I've learned a lot from you in terms of not having this 
yes, it's true. We, we need to guard our hearts against all the idolatry, blah, blah, blah. But we need to see the goodness of tech. And if we miss that tone, uh, we're going to turn a lot of people away um, because they're they're so engaged in it and they want to feel like they're doing something good in the world. They want to feel meaningful. It's been interesting as our podcast has gotten more hits, people keep going back to the very first episode Mark Zuckerberg and the meaning of life. And we unpack it well there. It's like, we were made to work. We were made to have meaning, um, to work for the glory of God. And and that's what I hope people do. Awesome. Well, it's been great. Thanks for listening to What Would Jesus Tech? Uh, We really do appreciate you listening. Thank you. And uh, thank you to our team WWJT. I don't. I want to call it that. I want to call it Team WWJT. Those who are on our team, our Discord group, um, those who support us on Patreon uh, to to help cover the cost for the show. We do appreciate it. Um, we have some fun guests coming up, covering topics like parenting. That's going to be the next episode. Some other topics, getting into the complicated aspect of how do we actually influence the culture. Um, that'll be an interesting discussion because how do you make something really Christian when it's used by all of culture? So we'll get into that in future episodes. Um, subscribe, like, rate us on iTunes, rate us on whatever you're listening, and uh, have a good one. Take care. Use tech. Find rest. Glorify God. Bye, guys. Bye.